Clock's ticking, so we got to get moving. So whether you can hear me or not, welcome to ANC. It's good to be here. Welcome to South by Southwest, which is the one time in town that none of us locals ever venture out. <laughs> I know less about South by Southwest than I know about, you know, Oktoberfest. Man, y'all going to be tough this morning. <laughs> it's great to be here. Um, I'm sorry that you got me three weeks in a row. It's just the way the cookie crumbles when our schedule is kind of what it is. Um, good stuff coming up next week. We're going to hear from Laura Merrill. Laura is the uh, personal assistant to the bishop who serves this region from San Antonio. Um, we've never kind of done that sort of thing where we kind of express denominationally through inviting people to speak, kind of who, we're, who we are, who we're connected to. So it's going to be new, but I can tell you that we trust implicitly Laura. She was one of the first voices we heard in the capital area. She's going to knock it out of the park. She's, she's, um, she's just that person. She's incredible. She's unfiltered. And so she gets us, which is amazing, because not everybody gets us. Have you figured that out? <laughs> Have you had Thanksgiving at home? You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but we're so glad you're here. Um, we're wrapping up what, for me, has been a really fun journey through a long and sort of slow explanation of who we are as a church. And the reason we're doing that is because we're in new space, and there's a lot of new faces. And I think it's important for us to have that conversation, nice and slow, to talk through the, the points of vision that we believe God has, has uh, put on our heart and the kind of church that we're building according to that vision. So I said this a couple weeks ago, um, all of this is, is your opportunity to join us in the building of this thing. So the question is, and has been since January, what are we building? What is the kind of church that we see? Now given uh, the reality that there's always a gap between what you see and what we are, because we're always on our way to becoming that thing that we see, but we know this if you ride motorcycles, that you go where your eyes are, right? So if you go into a corner and you're looking down, I don't want to be behind you because I'm going to run over you when you go down. You need to be looking. So the thing that we see is, is actually where we're going. So today we're going to hit that final point. I'm curious, did anybody cheat and read ahead in the little bulletin and look online? Does anybody know where we're going next? There's only one subject left. If you're smart, you probably already figured this out, but you're not, are you? <laughs> Nobody reads that crap, Trey. What can I say? So I'm so excited. I'm super excited to cover this one. I want to give you a little bit, of, uh, little bit of acclimation to this. This subject for me, I think I could wing a 10-hour talk on this because the subject of, of, of empower, seeing a church that's empowered, meaning everybody's gift is deployed for the good of the common good, that I could riff on that for hours. I spent a lot of my time vocationally working in that space, helping people discern what that vocational call is on their life. So I could do this for hours, and I might not need my notes today at all. But let's look at that. We're talking about an empowered church. This is the final piece of our vision as a local church. Here's how it reads. We see a church that values each individual's personal gifts and abilities. We believe that each person in the body should discover and use their gifts to God's glory in serving others. And man, that feels so much like the Bible. I want to pray after that. That Baptist comes out of me. That's not the Bible. That's just our vision. Don't, con don't conflate the two. Um, but, you, but you see what I'm talking about. So, so every partner uh, deployed and empowered to build that thing that God has called them to build. Let me be very clear. The good news to South Austin is not that ANC is doing services on South Lamar. The good news is that we've got a couple of hundred people, a couple hundred people who are actually in this place looking to figure out what is my unique contribution to this neighborhood. That's a very different thing. It's a very different thing than us opening doors and saying we want Austin to come to our church because we have the vision for the city it's very different than what we're trying to say, which is essentially we want to be near and be inside the zip code where God is active because there's things he's doing, and I've got something that I might be able to contribute. 
you've got something that you might be able to contribute. Does that make sense? Let me cut right to it today. I'll give you a little bit of inside information here. It's not my job to call you to build my vision. It's not my job. That's not even, that's not even interesting to me. It's not my job to call you to build my vision as a local pastor and as a local church. It's my job to help you move past your excuses and build what God has put in your heart to build. And if you are tracking with me, you can see, and maybe you're going back in your mind and thinking about all the places you have lived and served and worshiped, and you're thinking, wow, that sounds very different. Yep, it is very different. This will never be a megachurch because what drives, in my experience, the kind of church that says we're here to save the city or build this massive thing, no disregard for that. That saved my soul at that stage in my life too. But the difference between what we're building here and what many of you have experienced in other places, and to put it fear, that thing in your heart that says, "Uh uh-oh, we've lost control, we're going to two services, let me tell you this. Our vision remains the same as it always has, which is why this eight-week explanation has been so much fun. And our vision is simply this, help you move past the obstacle that you have in your life that is keeping you from fulfilling that thing that God has called you to do. What is that thing? I'm not sure. You will figure out over time with me that most of my conversations with you will bump along that level. What is God asking you to do? How can we release you further? What is that thing in you that you live to do, right? It's not about my vision. It doesn't matter. In fact, my vision is for you to see your vision, and there's a reason for that. If I can figure out how to empower you to build and do and, and, and be about those things that God has empowered you to do, then I don't have to sustain you. It's not me billowing air into your lungs on a weekday or on a week season of your life when you don't really know why you're getting up and doing that thing. I don't have to reconvince you why we gotta park a million cars around a building in some suburban zip code because that would be my vision. No, if I can get you to build your vision, guess what comes with that? Infinite energy and focus and the ability to integrate all these things because it's what God has put in your heart and it's very different. So that's the kind of church that we see The kind of church that understands that the gift that we might bring to this city is a bunch of people on task, actively discovering and using those gifts that God has given them to leverage on behalf of the kingdom. Okay, let's keep moving. I want to address this in parentheses before we go too far. Uh, We're going to two services in two weeks. Why are we doing this? We're not going to two services because we want to be a mega church. We're going to two services because it's uncomfortable to walk into a place, take that super high risk, walk into a place for the first time and not have a place to sit. So for us to feel like we're being faithful with the people that God has brought us, we're going to try to split this off into a 9.30 and an 11. Now, if it doesn't work, we'll go back. Why? It's not on TV. We don't care. We'll mess it up. We'll mess it up. You know, we'll do the right thing after we've tried every other thing. That's kind of how we do things, right? So I want, you, I want to put your heart at ease. The DNA of ANC is not at risk just because we have to do this twice. We're doing this to be faithful to the real estate that God has given us. Let's see if it works. If it doesn't work, we'll put it in reverse. We've done it a million times. So I want, I want you to understand that, that we feel your concern and we hear your heart that says, oh my God, we're losing control. In fact, some of you have PTSD related to multiple services. I know this. Listen, I worked for the Mega Mega. I worked for a church that's larger than most of the cities you were born in. I know. I feel it. I have felt it. We're not going to go there. Just trust us on this. Keep Keep using your discernment and keep, keep in discussion and community. Keep feeling this through. But if this ever eats you, then we've lost control, and it won't. Trust me, we don't want to let, it, let that happen. Can you, can you receive that encouragement today? I'm not, I don't want to build something that's going to eat me. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that to my family. We're super happy the way we are. We don't have to go to two services, but trust me, I think that God might actually create some space for some additional people. We need to be faithful to what he's given us to do in Austin. So there's that little side commercial. 
There's this fascinating little exchange that Jesus has with his disciples that I think figures into the way in which Jesus reached the world and simultaneously was, was, was working in the hearts of his disciples. And we're going to get to that in the book of Mark in a few seconds. It's not my doctrine of giftedness. It's not the comprehensive list of all the gifts that God has given the local church. It's just a snapshot. And it's actually a snapshot that all four gospel writers have recorded. Do you know there's very few things that all four wrote down? Did you know that? You probably don't realize that. You just grab your Bible, you look in the concordance, you find where it says. But did you know that they mostly wrote down different aspects? The reason being, Mark writes what he remembers. Matthew says, oh, you forgot an angle. Luke says, you completely forgot this other angle. And John, in his own league, writes his own thing. But this is one of those, the feeding of the 5,000 is one of those little scenarios, one of those little exchanges that all four gospel writers record. We're going to get to that in a minute. We could talk about spiritual gifts by using the language of Paul. We could talk about uh, the body, uh, where he makes the case that every part is a complement to, you know, and needs everyone else. And I've done all those talks, and we can do all those things. But I want, to, I want to lift us up to a higher level, and here's the reason why. Too many conversations about the spiritual gifts and the gifts that you have hover around what the local church can do to put those into, in, into motion. The reality is, is very few of you are ever going to serve in a local church. In fact, I would say the reality is, is that we, we do ourselves a disservice by looking at our life and saying, well, this is my church life. This is my other life. There's no such thing. Life is life. And so the gift to lead is your spiritual gift. The gift to balance somebody's complicated account is your spiritual gift. The gift to sell people the comfort they need to move into a new place. I'm looking at Bobby Motes in the back of the room. Sorry, thinking about real estate. Sorry, ADHD in front of the room. You should sit down, Bobby. That way I'm not focused on real estate. Anyway. The gift to make people from Michigan, right, Daniel? Move to Austin. Daniel's going to move to, Copico says hi, by the way. This is terrible. I can do this all day. But the gift to make people feel comfortable, if you have internalized this idea that says, I don't have a spiritual gift because it doesn't come to play, I'm just a preschool teacher, I'm just a high school teacher, I want you to back up and rethink this. Your gift to the world is that thing that God has given you that you do so well that people around you go, oh my gosh, can you do that again? So I don't want to have this conversation based in the writings of Paul. Paul's writing to a young church saying, in the church, these gifts, we want to back it up. That's why I want to use a little snapshot exchange between Jesus and, and his disciples. Before we do that, a couple of assumptions we need to build on. Number one, we all have a contribution to make. You have a brilliance. Some of you just bristle at that word. You hate that word. Oh, I'm not brilliant. I'm nice, which means I'm super, super I don't know, super mamby-pamby about my, my, my gift to the world. Some of you need to understand that we all have a unique contribution and a brilliance. It's possible you need help discovering that thing, but trust me, you have one. The open question is, what is that thing? Where do you most come alive? So it's important that we lay that foundation. Number two, that gift and that talent, that ability, that brilliance, I'm going to use that word just to wear you out if you're super, super uh, meek and modest or humble or whatever. But we all, this gift, this, this talent, this ability, this brilliance wasn't invested in you for your own personal enrichment. It was given to you for the good of the world. We're just going to call that the common good. So that's the second assumption, right? You've all got one. It was given to you for a reason. Number three, this means that there are places in which you're going to thrive and flourish and there are places in which you're going to wilt and wither. And it's not the difference between character or trying hard. It's literally the difference between your lane or not your lane right? Usain Bolt isn't a terribly good marathon runner. In fact, he's a pathetic. I could probably run a marathon faster than Usain Bolt. Why? That's not his deal. What is he the best on the planet at? The 100-meter dash, right? 
You get what I'm talking about? So not only do we all have one, it's given to us for the common good, but there are places in which you thrive and places in which you wither. And I'm curious to know if, as you roll the tape backwards in your mind, can you think of a couple of places where you could never figure out why, but it just wasn't your best you? I'm willing to bet you that there are reasons about that context that just put you in a lane that just wasn't your natural lane. It wasn't your natural play. You got what I'm saying? couple of foundational thoughts, and we're going to jump into the scriptures. Number four thought, virtually limitless energy and inspiration is available to you to the degree that you operate out of that lane, that thing, that set of eyes, that clear thing that you see. The limitless energy is available to you. It flows from within when you hover right over that spot that God has uniquely gifted you to contribute. I feel like we're getting somewhere. Fifth thing, number, this is super important, and this is probably the reason why many of our relationships fail. Your permission to be you is someone else's permission not to be you. You have the permission to be 100% about that 100-meter dash if you're Usain Bolt, which also gives the people you love and do life with the permission to perhaps not be 100-meter runners. You follow me? The whole gospel of uniqueness is, yes, God has given you something very powerful, and it's not really productive to hold the world at bay because they're not like you. Married folk, all the married people in the room said, "Uh uh-huh. Anybody working on their 25th year of marriage? Yep, this is starting to get a little more clear. A quick learn, guys. It only takes 25 years. But your permission is to be yourself and to allow others to do their thing, their unique contribution. So number six, this is the final thought on this. You're probably gonna need some help discovering the language to articulate to the world what is your unique gift. We don't give our children the language around this because we try to raise nice kids that don't talk about their talent, right? That don't show off. Now, I'm not talking about being a braggart or showing off, but we we, we enculturate ourselves in spaces where we almost cut our legs out before we stand out. So you're gonna need some help discovering the language around what is that thing you see. There's a lot of ways you can do this, and I'm just, this just crossed my mind. If I heard from 10 or 12 of you that said, I need help with this, let's do a class on this. We can do this. I've done this work with Gallup over the years. We could talk about the Enneagram. We could talk about these ways. All of these things are just an offering to give you some language to help externalize that thing in you that knows deeply where you fit. So you're going to need a little help with some of that language. So those are some thoughts. Now let's look at the scriptures. Some of you noticed that Trey bought me a clock. You see that clock? I shouldn't point it out. It's counting down. You've got 10 minutes and 54 seconds of pain left before you get to go pick up your kids. Some of you are saying, make it slower, slow it down. It's the only 10 minutes of my week I don't have to deal with that kid. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. I love it, the fact that the Leimbauers in the balcony can't see what we're talking about. This joke's on you. This joke's on you. Mark 6, verse 30. One of my favorite little exchanges. What I want to accentuate here is, is it's not a doctrine of giftedness. It's not the comprehensive list. There's this process in this beautiful little exchange that I think can school our hearts this morning. So let's read. Verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, any people in the room can, can, uh, can identify with that? He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Who's he talking to here? Call it out. The disciples. Boy, that's a lot of, that's a lot of fear in the room. Come on, who's he, who's he talking to? That's right, the disciples. 
So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, a little R&R perhaps. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw something, right? He identified something. So he began teaching them many things. And by this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. And it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take more than a half year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give that to them to eat? Jesus asks them, how many loaves do you have? And he asked, go and see. Go and find out what you, what you have. When they found out, they said five and two fish. That must have been a bit of a sheepish remark. Here's what we have. Five loaves and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Then all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had, been, who had eaten was 5,000. Fascinating little exchange. It falls somewhere in the middle of, oh, follow me while I change the world. And, oh, you better catch this lesson, this Leadership 101, because this is going to be important. I love this story for so many reasons. What's not interesting to me is whether or not it happened exactly the way Mark said or Matthew said or Luke said because they've got nuances of difference. That's not interesting. What also is not very interesting to me is that they fed 5,000 men. We all know that's a load. There was a bunch more people than 5,000. Why they would only count the men makes perfect sense at the time. A little offensive. Now, that's not even interesting to me. What's interesting to me, as you can see, what's interesting to me is that why would the ancients write this down? What does this reveal about God? What does it reveal about us? What does it reveal about humanity? What does it say about human hunger? That's interesting. So let's talk a couple of thoughts here. I want you to see the sequence and feel this exchange. Number one, big deal. The disciples actually noticed people were hungry. And I want to tell you that that's not terribly, that's not unremarkable. That point in your life, you know that point, when you've been doing this thing and you realize, wow, people around me are hurting, right? That's a conversion moment of sorts. But it's important to note that leadership begins right there when you realize that there are people who are actually hungry. They're not hungry for another teaching or another miracle. They're hungry. That sound you hear, that stomach, that's their stomach grinding, right? So it's important. The proof that God is alive in the world today has so much more to do than with the texts that we hold sacred. It has to do with the fact that people notice people are hungry. You don't believe me? Go watch Planet Earth 2. It's not super normal for a species to worry about another species, whether they're hungry or not. What's normal is you eat that giraffe if you're a lion. Did you guys see that? You guys got to go see that. That sequence where that female giraffe, they, that, that female lion, and she jumps in the midair and tries to eat, eat a giraffe, a lion, eat a giraffe. It doesn't make sense. It's not terribly natural for people to worry about the homeless. Let me just be straight with you. It's not normal for people to worry about other people being hungry. It just so happens to be the beginning of a divine sequence of us giving back to God something that he has loaned to us. So the first point I want to make is that these guys were looking for some vacation. Jesus saw with compassion that people were actually hungry. And the disciples come to him and say, we have a problem. Then Jesus does something super interesting and, and, and also rather dumb. He looks at him and he says, all right, what do you got? And this is one of those moments where you have to wonder, 
what in the world could Jesus be thinking? John actually writes this down. He asks them the question to test their hearts. Jesus knows that what they're able to muster and scrape together is going to pale in comparison to the raw need of that group of people. And oh, we're getting somewhere, aren't we? First thing we notice, people are hungry. Jesus says, exactly, what do you have? Can you imagine the lump in Peter's throat as they're pooling their stuff together, as they're stealing a lunch from a little boy? This was a little boy's lunch. And they, they come back to him and they say, this is all we have. Can you imagine how silly that exchange must have felt? And yet how transformative it is to understand that what you have and what I have pales in comparison to what God can do with it. All right, so I'm tweeting you where we're ending up. A couple more steps in the sequence. They gather what they can. They bring it to Jesus. Jesus does what with it? He breaks it. Some of you are in this season. We've had this conversation several times this week. Some of you are in this season where you don't know what he's doing. All you know is the little bit you had, he's breaking at this point. There's something up. It's for the good of the common man. It's for the good of humanity. And that little thing that you say, God, could you do something with this can of tuna and this couple of bolillos? And the next thing God does is he breaks it. He takes it from you and he breaks it. I was stuck in that sequence, it felt like, for 13 years. That's a bit of a season of breaking. I remember when it started. I I remember when it stopped. But I just want us to notice the process. We see need. Jesus says, what do you have? We say, this is all we've got. And God says, give it back. Jesus says, give it back. We give it to him. He breaks it. And then what happens with it? He lifts it to heaven. He blesses that broken thing that's never going to accomplish what it needs to accomplish. And he gives it back to us. And then what happens? You know the story. We already read it. There was so much left over that I'm wondering if that little boy's mom decided she might go into the bread and fish business at the end of the day. How do you end up, why, does the, why did they feel like it was important to write down 12 baskets full? Probably some reference to the 12 tribes of Israel. I don't know. It doesn't make an awful lot of sense. It probably isn't that important to us. But what I want, us, I want us to notice is this sequence. You've been gifted. You've been given something on loan that's not given to you for you, but given to you for the world in which you inhabit. The question is, can you release it? Can you give it back to God? If we can build a church that sees that as our primary, our primary goal, our primary uh, objective to help you figure out how might God further break that thing he's given you, that brilliance, that amazing thing that you've been given to give to the world, if we can somehow set a table and create a space where you can bring that and give that back. Oh, man, now we're talking. That's the church that I dream of. That's the church I dream of. So who are you? The next question might be, what's in your hands? You might say, I'm just a builder. I'm just a carpenter. I just raise good kids. What's in your hands? What are you brilliant at? What's your Dave Beckham play? Any soccer fans in the room? I know, I'm going to close my eyes because you're going to say you're not. Dave Beckham was the greatest shooter from midfield probably ever to play the game of soccer. Now, some of you could argue that. Fair point. Dave Beckham driving the ball up into the box was terrible. He'd fall over. They'd tackle him. He'd cry like a baby. He'd go all Spice Girl. He was, not a Le- he was no Le- Lionel Messi. He was no, you know, Maradona. But from about halfway out, just inside the midfield line, if you left Dave Beckham unblocked, look out. Dave Beckham could bend a ball so hard, 
he could shoot it and, it, and the goalies all run to this side of the net while the ball's going to this. It would turn in midair. We call that English, putting a little English on the ball. What is your shot? There was a shot from midfield that if you gave Dave Beckham the ball, he would score most of the time. What's your shot? What's your lane? What's your angle? Who are you? Why are you here? All these new faces. What are you doing here? How do we deploy you? What's that one thing you do? It crackles. It sparkles. It's got pixie dust on it because, and here, you know, you want to know how you're right over the, the spot where your brilliance is when you say, man, I thought everybody could do that. Yeah, actually, no, but of course you would think that because it's so natural to you. What is that thing? It's possible you were put here to contribute something. Not only is it possible, I think it's the case. That's the kind of church we want to build, space that sees you as the natural resource. Not a church that, can, now, I want to be clear on this. I want to address your PTSD, hear me. Not a church that consumes you, a church that deploys you. That's all the difference in the world. A church that sees that our job is to build whatever structures we must to move you in the direction of your brilliance. That's what we're talking about. Not a church that consumes the raw material of their volunteer labor to build this thing so, so that we can do this other. I don't even care about another church service. Releasing you to do your thing, that's what matters to me. So a couple, two final thoughts in the last 25 seconds here. That thing you love so much to do, that's your divine calling. That's what it is. Let me just demythologize and despiritualize the whole thing for you. It doesn't have to happen in a shower when you're speaking in tongues or reading some mystic scripture from the Desert Fathers. That thing you love to do, that's your thing. That's your divine calling. Simple as that. Number two, if you don't know what it is, ask the people around you. Why? Because they see when you slide into that gear. Ask them with an open heart. They'll give you some feedback. We've talked about our ecumenical posture as a church, how we, we, our vision for unity in the city, and we work across movements. We've talked about our focus on social justice. We've talked about how, for us, advocacy for the LGBTQIA community is an extension of justice. It's not an issue of theology. We've talked about how we see corporate worship. We've even talked about Budger licking Trey's face. And I'm just going to say, Trey, there's a better goatee in the room now, and he's playing drums. Did you guys notice that? Like, oh, that's what Trey's goatee would look like if he'd lift the... Anyway, sorry. We've talked about corporate worship. We've talked about our understanding of community. Remember the words of Brandon, how the light load that we're called to is actually the gift of community. We've talked about our vision for biblical theology and how our Christology reigns supreme over every other interpretive thing we do. We've talked about holistic ministry, body, soul, spirit, and we've talked about a church deployed. And so here's what I'm hoping you hear. I'm hoping you hear an invitation to join us in this wild and crazy ride in this amazing city and just to see what God can do with